if you're new here, welcome. My name's Kyle. I'm not the regular guy. Um, Brian's given me the privilege of preaching to us this morning, and right now we are in the middle of, or towards the end of a series about First Thessalonians, and we're actually at the end where we get some commands, and those commands are in chapter 5, verse 16, 17, and 18. Basically, always be joyful. We talked about that last week. I'll be talking, praying continuously this week. And next week, Brian will be finishing up by giving thanks in all things. So, my silly little intro there. I hope you all could read it. You know, I, I make light of prayer. But when we get a command like pray continually, it begs the question, what does that really look like? And so today, we're going to do a few things. We're going to take a look, one, at what prayer really is, or what it should be. We're going to discuss a few misconceptions about prayer, and then I'll jump off the theological claim. may have to come and save me with a life ring. We're going to talk about what continual prayer looks like in our lives. So to start off with, we have the example because Jesus gave us a prayer, and he starts it out. It's in Matthew 6. He says, when you pray. So that's a pretty good key that this is going to be instruction about how you expect our, us to pray. And I'm going to try to do it from memory, and I bet you I use different words than you use because I learned it when I was a little kid. It says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive those have forgiven our debtors. And he finishes, lead us not patient, deliver us from evil or the evil one. And there's an ending to that prayer that many of us probably learned as children. I want to talk to us about how we can use this model prayer as in our lives. And there's a great little acronym that has been used for years that's called ACTS, like A-C-T-S, just like the book of the Bible. And the A stands for adoration. This is an expression of somebody's recognizing somebody's position, recognizing somebody's worthiness. In the case of God, recognizing someone's holiness. And this is, this is shown to us in, in a fantastic way in Matthew 2, right after Jesus' birth. We have the three wise men that come from the east, the magi come. And in Matthew 2, it talks about what they did. And as they approached the emphasis, this baby of no standing, born in the lowly place, born of no means, and what did they do? They laid out the most expensive things at his feet, prostrated themselves, they got down on their knees, and they bowed before him and worshiped. So when we talk about what is adoration, that is taking, acknowledging someone's position and putting ourselves in the correct posture, whether mentally or physically on our knees worshiping them. And we serve a God that deserves that adoration. Secondly, the C, it stands for confession. Confession is an expression of true remorse. So we all know what fake remorse looks like, right? Anybody that has more than one child? How many thousand times as parents, if you have a child that's over two, have you said, go tell your brother slash sister 
slash brothers, slash sisters, slash dad, grandparents, anybody, that you're sorry. And what do you do? You're like, <laughs> oh, you know, Julie, I'm so sorry. Is that true remorse? You know, whip mom and dad. I'm going to tell you I'm sorry. You know, that's not what confession is. Confessions when that when you realize the the extent of your sin, the extent of your violating of God's word, and it brings you to your knees, and you truthfully um, express back to our our God and Father what you've done wrong. And I may this is where I get pulled off the stage, Brian. I don't know if any of you ever watched the show My Name is Earl. Those people know about it. Those of you who don't, I'm sorry. Or maybe it's a good thing. Earl, I'll try to summarize really quickly, gets, he decides that all the wrong stuff in his life is on the wrong path, and so he creates a list, and he keeps adding to it, but the whole crux of the show is every episode he's trying to knock off one or two of these list items. And he truthfully is at a point morse about all these things, and he 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 gets to the state where he is truly sorry about the injuries he's done to people, and obviously it's a comedy, and he goes to some length to try to, to rectify it. But that's the kind of remorse. Remorse and confession is, I'm on my knees because I've bought into it. It drives me to things. Confession's not the word you make a little kid say. So, the T... Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is an expression of gratitude, an expression of appreciation. Obviously, we had a communion meditation that talked about that. We're in the season of Thanksgiving. If, if you didn't know when Thanksgiving started for Americans, it, it, I guess Thanksgiving's always been around because it's in the Bible. The pilgrims indeed did have times of Thanksgiving. But formerly, or formally in the United States, Thanksgiving then in 1980 or 19, <laughs> 1789, George Washington in his first year of presidency declared a day of thanks for he had received from our sovereign God. And if you don't know your U.S. history, we've just come out of 12 years. The Declaration of Independence, or a little more than 12, 14 years, I guess, Declaration of Independence, the largest Navy and Army in the whole world tried to suppress us, and we're a beaten, broken, but have beaten they are masters country. And he was elected, or he was appointed in April of, of 1789. One of his first acts is to, is to sign a bill that's National Day of Prayer of Thanksgiving. And what's interesting is he gave the country time. He decided that it would be in November. But he did it. He, he decided that we'd have that day in April. So we had half a year to plan for it. So we have adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And our little acronym ends with S for supplication. Supplication, an expression of our need. And again, I'm going to go back to our kids. Anybody that has one kid or more, or a nephew or niece, you know, what do we tell the kids at Christmas time? I need you to give me. A list. Who, who's ever had something on your kid's Christmas list that cost more than you make annually? You know, that, that Christmas list 
is fantastic. For a kid, you get to dream. But for us as believers, there's something different. And when we look inside of the Lord's Prayer, verse 10 we see, Your will be done. And verse 11, Give us our daily bread. Supplication, true godly supplication, crossroad of his will and my need, and me asking for my need to be met within his will. So when we're expressing supplication, as in the example from the, from the Lord's Prayer, that's what we should see. I'm actually going to, I'll probably touch on supplication a little bit later in the, in the, in the sermon, but I'd like us all to recite the, the Lord's Prayer, so back to the first slide. This then is how we should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, also as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead it. Is that, are we? Yeah, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you for, for indulging me in that. Second thing I'd like to do today is talk about some misconceptions. A lot of misconceptions about prayer. I'm going to focus on two. The first one is that prayer is a one-way conversation. You know, I, Brian said this not that long ago, and you please don't raise your hand, but if you're having daily audible conversations with God, more power to you because he does not... Come to me in person and back to me when I talk to him. And, you know, I, I, I suspect that is the common experience that we all have. You know, in life, do we really like to have sided conversations? You know, there's the old joke about, you know, women have, what, 50,000 words a day and guys have 10, and by the time the guy gets home, he's used 12,000 and he's, He's already in debt too, so he's just going to sit and listen to the 49999 that his wife saved up all day. You know, women, you don't like that conversation, do you? You're, you're talking and he's sitting there, you know, vegetating. And, you know, you've seen the commercial, the coach screaming in the referee's ear on the sideline. The guy is just dazed in his vision. It's just, it might as well be his wife next to him yammering in his ear. You know, he lost that, that feeling of... I'm trying to communicate, but I don't get reciprocation. And I'd like to help dispel that that's really what's going on when we pray. I'd like to take a quick look at John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, and then 26. Jesus is speaking with his disciples, and he tells this to them. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives in you and will be in you. I'm sorry, I'm going to skip down and read the last verse there. Then in verse 26 he says this, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you everything I have said to you. So, you know, I, I can't claim that every day I feel the Spirit of God living in me. I wish I'd wake up every day. Ooh, there you are, Spirit. 
Hallelujah. But we know, that for those of us that are believers, we have the promise that God's Spirit is dwelling in us and that is, He is our counselor, He is our aid, He is our guide. Um, I would expand it beyond that. And I think there's probably biblical support. We have each other. The word that you can say could be the word spoken through the Spirit that I need to hear at that time. We have teachers. We have a great teacher like Brian who gets up and expresses through the Spirit the Word of God to us. On a regular basis, we're hearing from our communion meditations, from our small group leaders, and from Brian, the Word of God through his Spirit. We have the very Word of God that can speak back to us in a conversation with God. And we have that spirit that was so promised. You know, if you think about the way that we communicate in our culture, how many times is it one-sided? Road signs. I, I talk back, but they don't hear, right? I have kind of a unique experience in my life, and Brian Earl and I both were football, or have been football officials. I've done it for almost 15 years. And one of my best friends, Brian Harris, was my referee for the bulk of it. And if you don't know much about football or high school football, they require us to go to the game an hour and a half early, do a lot of preliminary stuff. And my buddy does college, and so he gets some of the college influence into the way he manages uh, the officials on his crew, and he would send out an itinerary like Monday or Tuesday, where we're going to meet, what I want you to be prepared to do. But every single week before a Friday night football game, we would talk through every aspect of the game. And actually, I'm, I have two football illustrations, so I'm going the wrong way. One of the things that we did on our crew was talk about signaling. And beyond signaling, we printed a big sheet with signals on it, and one of the guys took it up to the timekeeper and announcer, and he handed it to him, and he said, hey, Here's all the signals that you'll ever need to know, and he talked every game. If you see somebody shaking their arms like this, you kill the clock. And I, every game but maybe one in my entire career, someone, some announcer has said the wrong call. He's got the sheet with all the big, we blew the chart up for them. And we would go out, we'd make the signal, and they would call, they would say, well, there was such and such, and be like, what signal's he looking at? The and the reason I, I mention this is it's not truly one-way communication. We enabled that announcer and that scorekeeper and that timekeeper to administer the game properly and announce it. They had all the tools right there in front of them. There was two-way communication. I didn't have an earbud in his ear saying, hey, buddy, that's holding, not the block in the back. But he had, he had the information. Do, do we not? Prayer is a two-way communication. The second misconception I'd like to chat about is that prayers seem to go unanswered and that prayers seem to be answered in ways that we don't want. Think about the things that we pray about that may or may not get answered. Hey, physical illness, disability, we pray about those things for years. You know, grandma gets cancer and we're praying, please heal grandma. You know, our children, they're, they're infants, but we're praying about 
their lives ahead of them. We pray about our perceived needs. And again, go back, you know, our need, God's will, we should be praying in that. But our prayers lots of times fall outside that circle. One of the reasons that I feel like we don't, that, that this misconception is because that we don't get in tune with God's will and we don't grasp God's timing. I'd like us to take a quick look at Exodus chapter 2. Probably one of my absolute favorite Bible um, um, characters ever, and that's Moses. In Exodus chapter 2, and before I read this, I'll, we'll catch you all up. It's been in bondage for like 400 years. Moses' mother, to save his life, threw him in a basket into the Nile River. He was raised for 40 years as an Egyptian, and he has just killed another Egyptian for whipping in it, um, an Israelite. And in chapter 2, verses 23 and following, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groan. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. All right, Moses flees. He's 40 years old. He flees out to the desert, and it says God heard their groanings. And he was concerned about them. If God heard you and is concerned about you, how quickly is he going to act for you? Well, in this case, he waited 40 more years. 40 years of groaning. 40 years of Moses living with his in-laws out in the desert raising sheep. 40 years of Moses looking for excuses not to go back. 40 years before he answers their prayers. And more like 440 been praying since they exiled into Egypt to, to receive their promise, the promise to Abraham that was given to them. So, do prayers go unanswered? I, I would say no. Do they get answered the way we like and in the timing we like? I would say no, but do they get answered? And does God's will and does timing take care of that? I would say yes. You know, again, for those of us with kids, when your kid is, you know, knee high, most of us start praying for, hey, I, I, I'm getting ready to give my daughter away, so my second of three kids is going to get married. And these individuals that have chosen to be with my son and daughter, they've been being prayed for since they were knee high by me. I didn't know their name, I didn't know their family, but I've been praying for them. That is the nature of prayer that I think God wants us to, to understand, is that he answers them in his time and in his way. And we just need to, our, world, our view up to his will, so that we can see in his timing and in his will. So I'm going to do something a little odd here, talking about prayer. We're actually going to pray for the sermon right now. So if you'd join me. Heavenly Father, just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you for my family and friends and for this church. Lord, I just pray that we would receive your wisdom and your will concerning prayer. And Lord, I just ask that you uh, 
you do just speak through the Spirit through me as we talk about this. And just ask this in your Son's name. Amen. So what does continual prayer look like? Does it look like the, the prayer thought bubbles that uh, Brian Earl and I had? Or maybe this guy. This guy is Maxim of Georgia, not of Atlanta, Georgia fame, but of Georgia wedged between Iran, Turkey, and Soviet fame. And this pillar of rock is where Maxim lives. After the fall of communism, Maxim came out of prison and became a, a monk. And he found this place. Wow, there's a, uh, there's a small, at the time there was just one small little building on top of it. There was a ramshackled, um, crumbling building. He said, I think I'm going to go live on it. And there's a, a style of monk called a stylite from columns. So Roman columns were styles. And a guy back, I think in the 300s, Cho he, he saw one and says, man, it'd be great focus if I just went and sat on top of that. And so a whole slew of people over history have chosen to live their lives on top of small things. And so Matt's been living up there for a number of years. I think he's, he may still be alive. If I ever go visit my sister, maybe I'll go hunt Maxim down. Even though I don't think you can see it, there is a 300, or there's a 131-foot ladder precariously attached to that wall that I don't think I want to walk up and down. So, are these what we're talking about? Do we really need to segregate ourselves, put ourselves on top of a cliff or a pillar like this to become continual prayers? Uh, I would suggest not, and I think you'd hopefully agree with me. So we're going to talk about what that looks like. But before we continue, um, I'm going to give you a, a, a free play pass here, a little hall pass. Do not, do not feel guilt about the past on this. The chief of sinners and hypocrites on this topic is standing before you talking, so I am not the uh, expert on this. I do not apply it in my life with 100% uh, uh, of the time. So I not want you to, to walk out of here feeling some kind of great guilt or, or be troubled about it, but that we should be encouraged that this is a lifestyle to, to strive towards. And as we look at what does it mean to be praying continually, I'd like to look at Daniel's life. So we're going to take a look in Daniel chapter 6. We won't read it all. Again, a fairly common story. No, Daniel is, as a young man, taken from Israel with some of his buddies. They are exiled into captivity. A handful of, and they didn't steal the, and the, unintelligent. They stole the students. So, you know, they went to Harvard and Yale and grabbed those students from Israel and took them to serve them and to work for them. And so Daniel finds himself in a fairly high position. Indeed, by the time Daniel and the lion's den happens, he finds himself as one of three kind of co-governors of the entire country. So he has a third of the country in his, in his hands. But if, you've, if you read Daniel... He chose a vegetarian diet when he was supposed to be eating meat. He, his buddies were thrown into a fern revived. Every step along the way, Daniel is faithful to God and does his job to the best of his ability. And at every turn, he is blessed because of it. Well, he's blessed, and it just ires the guys around him, and they want to get rid of him because 
he drives them nuts. My suspicion is someone that's faithful and doesn't, doesn't steal from the boss probably irritates everybody around them. They're like, get rid of him because he's making us look bad. So what do his uh, co-workers do in chapter 6 and then verse 16? They, or actually, before I get to that, his buddies rat him out. They actually talk the king into a uh, special law. It says, hey, people can only pray and worship you. And so they know it's going to go back and pray and they'll catch him. And they do. And they go to the king who loves Daniel and they say, hey, Daniel, you've got to do something about that. And it frustrates the king and he kind of wavers. They come back and say, look, doing it. And the king agrees, okay, yeah, the, the rules of the Medes and Persians can't be violated, so I must punish Daniel. And he is looking at throwing into the lion's den. Here's what he says, chapter 6, verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually rescue you. And what's interesting is the king goes, can't sleep, has a horrible night, first light of day, walks. You verse in, in verse 20, the first words out of his mouth are, into the cave, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lion? And I'm sorry, I skipped, I don't know if we had that first, Stephen. I skipped the, the verse where they, they tried to trap him and... and in verse 10, it said, Daniel learned that the decree had been published. He went to his upstairs room where the windows were towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. So, so what does pray continually look like? Was Daniel on his knees 24 hours a day? No. He was on his knees three times a day. He was letting the life that he knew through his relationship with God, the way he conducted himself with the rulers, with his cohorts, and with the people that uh, he was governing. And it was so obvious that the king says twice, the day before and the day after, throwing him in the lion's den, Are you, you, know, you, you serve your God annually. It was obvious to his king. So I would suggest to you that pray continually is maybe not the foolishness of my little prayer bubbles or isolating yourself on a pillar. It is habitual. It is, this is the lifestyle that I'm going to choose. If I say it's three times a day on my knees, if I say it's in the morning one up, for me it's been other times. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Set that, set that, habit in your life and follow it and it will bleed into all aspects of your life much of the way that it uh, it bled into Daniel's and now I'm going to get back to my second football story so I'm sorry I'm a guy I got to share football Brian my referee he is the one he always printed on our our pregame sheet you do what you say you will do I got mad every time I read it. So tired of that stupid saying, Brian. Would you please take it off of our sheet? But I think in hindsight, I'm glad he never removed it. Every single game, and I was an umpire, we talked about what we were going to do. I said it out loud every Friday night. 
My focus is hard to that tackle. I own blocking until if the run goes this way, I'm doing that. If we have a field goal, I'm doing this or that. I said it out loud every Friday night. And, you know, Brian Earl can confess that we didn't get it 100% of the time right on the field. But saying that out loud for an hour a game every single Friday night impacted what occurred on that field. It changed. And I'll tell you, when I do game, I, I couldn't do game because my work schedule changed and I got called for a, a first-round district game because they needed a crew and got thrown together with guys I did not know and did not work with and they didn't really care about our pregame. Brian was with me because his son had a bye week. We were frustrated all game long because we were working with three guys that didn't focus, didn't participate, had trouble all game long. So I would suggest that same goes in our, our spiritual lives. Prayer is that habit that keeps us going straight. Um, I'd like to, sh- I've already shared personal stuff, but I'd like to get really personal. So how has this looked like in my life? I grew up in Washington, Missouri, and while I was, I, I became a believer as a teenager, and we built a brand new addition right after I started going to, to church there. And there were stained glass windows that kind of pointed um, east-ish, and so every Sunday the light came through a stained glass, well, uh, an arched window of the cross right behind the, the, uh, the uh, pastor when he was preaching. Anytime you prayed, that reverse burned image was on your eyelids. And I got in the habit, I thought, man, the first few times, that's really annoying. And I thought, no, I'm going to use that for something good. So every time we got to the end of the sermon and there was a, a call to respond, I prayed for response, not only my own, but of everyone that was there. I said, Lord, you know, help them, help them apply that message. Lord, if there's someone that needs you, have, get, spur them to walk forward. In another life, I was in went to Bible college down in Joplin, and I drove home to, to Washington regularly. And I don't know why, but one of the first times I either saw a hitchhiker or I might have prayed for it, but I picked the guy up and took him all the way. So I'd always leave North Main Street in Joplin and pray that when I got on the highway I could find someone to help. And you'd be surprised people you find to help. And the third, the third thing I'd like to share with you is about airline check-in. Anybody that's ever flown, one of the most frustrating things on earth anymore is getting into the plane finally. And probably the least thankful job in the entire airport is the lady that stands at the gate and if there's a 150 seat plane, 150 people complain about where their seat is, when they get to board, and why is it late, and a thousand things. And I traveled to California for a couple of years, like every third week, same flight almost always, a lot of times the same people, the same gate attendant. And I just got in the, ha- the really early on I thought, you know, that lady, she doesn't need to hear it from me, one. But I just decided, I'm going I'm to pray for her the whole time there's someone standing in front of her. So instead of sitting there at the gate grumbling about my delayed flight or that there was nowhere good to sit or that I was hot or cold, 
I just focused on her. And the reason I, I mention these things is not because of what my prayer could do with God necessarily, even though I'm sure God appreciated it. What was the real impact? If I'm praying for that lady and I'm in line and I need, I'm standby or I'm whatever and I get up there and I talk to her and I've been praying for her for half an hour, what is my interaction with her like? If I'm praying to pick up a hitchhiker, hitchhikers are there. If I'm praying about it, I'm, I'm aware and I'm for it. Prayer is that thing that brings my consciousness up to God's will. I'm praying about things within God's will. I'm going to start seeing the things that God wants me to do that are within his will. I'm going to talk about a time, so if you're, I don't know, give or take maybe under the age of 30, 35, this is a, this is a special time for those of us that are older. This BCC, it's not BC, it's BCC. This is before cruise control. There was a time, youngins, when we didn't have control. And I think many of us can attest to shin splints. We stopped because we needed to, to stretch our ankle, and our, or we drove with our left foot on the gas because we needed to give our right foot a break. And I talk about this funny time is because time, or Technology in autos is just like accelerating rapidly. How many years has it been since we got the rear view camera for backing up? The little sensors that beep when we're going to hit something. The little warning light that flashes on your rear view mirror when there's a car that's in that lane that's in a spot that you didn't see. Um, there was a time, youngins, when driving was a very interactive action. And your focus had to be on at all times. Checking mirror, checking mirror, checking mirror, looking in lane, looking ahead for something happening, looking behind for people coming up, regulating your speed. You actually had to look at the speedometer because you didn't realize that the fast song would come on and the next thing you know you're going 80 instead of 60. So I, I tell this funny little time of BCC because we had folk and we drove. We had no choice. We also had this thing called manual transmission, whatever that was. You had to focus on it. You had to be in tune with your car. That in tune, I told Brian last week, I said, I was looking for the way to summarize what it is that prayer is. And I said, it is that. It's in rhythm. It is rhythm in life. It's checking the rearview mirrors, checking your speed gauge, you know, knowing your surroundings. Prayer is that thing that, that keeps your soul life in rhythm. So we've chatted about a few things, what prayer is, some misconceptions. But I'd like to, a, a very, very, very personal story about my dad. And this... I, is the strangest thing. I was sitting in Walmart's parking lot waiting for my wife to get off work. I was probably there 10, 15 early. And my dad had had a mini stroke. It was impacting his speech a little bit and his motor skills just a tiny bit. And I was sitting there going, man, I'm going to spend this time praying for my dad. And I kept getting very, very, very frustrated because all I could focus on was a man that Paul Leonard, our missionary to Turkey, had been working with. And he had asked us to pray for this guy's soul. 
So finally I relented. I was like, okay, God, I'm just going to pray for this guy. And I felt guilt. I felt honest guilt. I'm like, how, how could I let my own father be secondary in my prayer life? Why is this even in my brain? And so I actually I pondered it for a while. And I actually posted something on Facebook. And I haven't even go back and read it for this, but I thought, I think my dad would be honored. My dad's a believer. He's a preacher. I said, I bet you my dad's more concerned about that man's soul. I bet you my dad would love to meet that guy in heaven. Somebody that was special enough not only to me, to Paul, but to God himself. Then my dad was worried about recovering from his, his minor stroke and that he would be offended that I might pray for someone when the only thing I should be focusing on is him. And so, I mean, I shared that. And that truly is what we as a church long to do. We want to be a place where we connect people to each other, but that we connect people to God. We want to be that place where we intersect with people's needs and God's will. And so as plays um, the next song, I just challenge you to, to, to consider not only your own prayer life, but if, if you don't believe, consider this the time. Is, this, is today the day that I'm willing to set aside myself and I'm ready to say, God, you're in control. I'm giving my life back to you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, I just thank you for such a loving group of people that are supportive. And uh, Lord, I just ask that you encourage us in the way that we communicate with you and, and having regular prayer life with you. And Lord, I just pray especially for anybody here that, that needs to hear the word of the love that you expressed through your son's Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. And we just lift everything before you through him. Amen.